Welcome to my podcast, Rise and Fall of the Qing Dynasty, Cup of Solid Gold. And this is episode 12, Hai Qing. Let me say this before I get into this episode. The reference to Hai Ching in the episode title has nothing to do with drug or alcohol high. I'm referring to High Noon. It is High Noon for the Qing Dynasty. In the last episode, I wanted to do a general review of Chinese society, family life, women issues, status, gender and family relations, commerce, trade, population, in the first 150 years of Qing rule. It was generally a prosperous time in China. The country, the nation, grew economically, and a modern major nation was on the world stage. But stresses were showing, and how the Chinese leadership dealt with those might determine its future. Also, we can see an acceleration of the interaction between China and other Western nations, for good or ill. In the current episode, I want to pick up on our chronology where we left it. If you remember, Qianlong, the last emperor, had died in 1799. His son, Yongyan, had already been emperor for roughly three years, after his father's abdication in 1796. We have already had a small intro to the new emperor. His given name was Yongyan. Aishin Jielo Yongyan. But I will refer to him by his more common and official emperor name, Jiaqing. He was born at the Old Summer Palace outside Peking, November 13, 1760. He would have ascended the throne, already a grown man. There are numerous reports that he accompanied his father on many trips to Jihol, which is now called Chengda, in Hebei province, south-central China, and in other cities in China. Like most princes, he received a good education. Immediately after his father's death, he took full control of China. Besides inheriting the usual things a crown prince gets from his emperor father, Jiaqing inherited lots of trouble. China was in pitiful condition on many fronts. Despite the fact that he was a frugal, conscientious, and hardworking emperor, he would be unable to bring China back to its 18th century glory. Let me list the messes he had to address. Economic decline, 
a national treasury seriously depleted. His father's appointee, Hushin, and the corrupt structure and system he left behind. And rebellions. On top of that, Jiaqing would have to eventually deal with two assassination attempts on his life. He also dealt with repeated flooding and food supply distribution issues. Poor guy. Two episodes ago, I mentioned Hushin. And remember, he was the Manju guardsman that befriended his father, Jia Qing's father, Qianlong. Eventually, Hushin became a sort of dynasty manager. Qianlong trusted him. And Hushin was diabolically corrupt. While Qianlong was alive, Jiaqing, the current emperor, had to patiently bide his time and restrain his resentment toward Hushin. As I mentioned in that episode, five days after Qianlong's death, Jiaqing had Hushin arrested and soon thereafter forced Hushin to commit suicide. It was then discovered that Hushin allegedly had under his control the equivalent of $1.5 billion in assets. Worse, Jiaqing uncovered the vast extent of Hushin's embezzlement and the large amount of people that were complicit with Hushin. Hushin, if you remember, married Jiaqing's sister. It is not clear if she knew or was complicit too. In any event, Jiaqing spared her any punishment. Despite Jiaqing taking it action to purge and punish some of the others involved in the crimes, he realized he could not punish all of those that deserved it. There were just too many involved. He was criticized for his leniency, but he really had other big problems to resolve. It has been reported that Hushin prolonged the two rebellions that I will talk about in this episode. He prolonged them so he and his confederates could embezzle more money and divert divert valuable funds away from the dynasty's efforts to fight these rebellions. As I said, diabolical. Immediately upon taking the throne, Jiaqing had to deal with an ongoing rebellion spread out over three provinces. It was known as the White Lotus Rebellion. A simple tax protest in the beginning became a full-scale rebellion lasting 10 years, from 1794 to 1804. It was instigated by followers of the White Lotus sect. It was fought in 
parts of three provinces, Hebei, Shanxi, and Sichuan. Most of this very mountainous regions in south-central China. White Lotus were a secret religious society, and as I mentioned, it originally began over taxes. The first attempt by Qianlong to quell the rebellion failed. Before it was over, an alleged 100,000 rebels were casualties of this rebellion. One thing was for sure, given the length of time, the difficulty and the cost for the Qing government to put down this rebellion for the first time called into question the Qing's strength and resolve. Another unrelated rebellion was also occurring during the Qianlong-Jiaqing transition period. Let me say this first. I'm only going to summarize the event. It's quite complex, and there are many excellent works that have been written about this event in detail. Miao is the Chinese reference to the indigenous people that inhabited the rugged mountain areas of Hunan and Guizhou provinces, south and southwest China. This was not the first time the Chinese had problems with this region and its people, including other dynasties and, and, and including the Ming dynasty. 1736 was the last time they had to deal with these, these, this area, and the Qing imposed very harsh measures on them, and lots of resentment grew from these measures. Basically, as China prospered, Han Chinese started migrating to the areas that were typically inhabited by the Miao people. The Han Chinese were occupying and settling in the very few tracts of arable land there was in the region. And so the Miaos had enough, and they began to push back. The number of their fighters in this rebellion probably was never very large, but the region was remote and it was very difficult terrain. It took the Qing government 10 years to suppress it, sort of. More on the Miaos in later episodes. Nonetheless, this was a laborious and expensive affair for the Qing government. It exposed the once proud Bannerman army that they were not the warriors they were in early Qing conquests. Many have opined this was a turning point in the imperial Qing dynasty. Some have opined it was the high watermark for the Qing dynasty. Any way you want to look at it, One thing was for sure, the Qing Empire was never larger in extent and never more powerful. The population explosion of the 18th century now became a noticeable burden and a great concern.
During the 18th century, good production continued to rise proportionally to Chinese population, to China's population. But the law of diminishing returns and other issues began to assert themselves. During the 18th century, the agrarian sector boomed, and the extended internal peace had produced and nurtured an expanding population. But without developing new technologies or growth technologies or space, it was clear China could not continue to absorb the population. These were the roots that grew into problems in the early 19th century. Early in the 19th century, pressures began on the food distribution system. Yellow River flooding silted and blocked the Grand Canal. Discussions began on an alternative delivery system. By the way, the Yellow River flooded 17 times during Jia Qing's reign. One of the problems was whatever solution they would have as an alternative to the Grand Canal would bump headlong into the patronage or the systemic generational largesse with the Grand Canal and the families and the people that worked and survived and lived off of the Grand Canal. Certainly none of them wanted an alternative to the Grand Canal. But there was open discussion about providing sea routes as an alternative for food supply issues. Dredging and maintaining the Grand Canal was very expensive. Relief efforts exhausted the treasury and reduced the national income. Food shortages became a growing problem. As if this were not enough things to handle, the Qing government was becoming more and more ineffective in suppressing and preventing pirate attacks along China's southern coast. Of course, pirate attacks were nothing new. But the Qing difficulties with preventing them and suppressing them were. The rebellions and the pirates were exposing the considerably weakened Manju army and navy. The once proud Bannerman army had become weak through extended luxury afforded them and required huge sums of money to maintain it. Jiaqing significantly reduced imperial household expenditures and state support for the huge number of family members dependent on the imperial household. He was attacked and nearly killed by a street mob in 1803. One family member tried to kill him. He was a disgruntled former recipient of the imperial household's income. This was in 1813. He was not happy with Jia Qing's cutting measures on state support of family members. 
Jiaqing eventually ended the iconic and expensive Southern Imperial Tours that I talked about with respect to Qianlong and Kangxi. Massive outflows of silver from smuggled opium into China began to be an issue. From 1800 to 1880 and 1818, opium traffic into China moved through Macau. During this time, roughly 4,000 chests were coming through each year. A chest, by the way, is roughly 140 pounds. But in 1819, the opium imports to China exploded. Due to increased competition from suppliers, prices were lowered and consumption increased. Opium was like gold. From 1800 to 1810, China gained about $26 million in world balance of payments. Within 20 years, this would reverse due to opium. The West finally found something the Chinese would buy in quantities. During Jia Qing's reign, England became China's largest trading partner, accounting for nearly 70 to 80 percent of all foreign trade, most of it through the Guangzhou port. In 1816, England sent another diplomatic trade emissary mission to China. Lord William Amherst was the ambassador, and the stated purpose of the mission was to announce to the Chinese government the English victory over Napoleon I and to reopen diplomatic negotiations with China. They arrived in August 1816. But it failed again, just like it did with Qianlong, due to a mix-up in credentials. It appears, upon arriving in Peking, the emperor immediately summoned the ambassador. But he declined due to ill health. And the English felt the emperor wanted the emissary to perform the cowtown. So this still appears to be an issue. The two never met. The ambassador and the emperor never met. Instead, the ambassador traveled around China until January of 1870, 1817 before departing. On September 2nd, 1820, Jiaqing died. His cause of death is not officially known. One story is that he died of a lightning strike. The more plausible story was he had a stroke. He, it was said he was obese. I have read two stories regarding his successor. One story is he, that Jiaqing died without naming one, but his wife and dowager empress 
Xiao Hura Huanghou, declared Jiaqing's second son, Mianning, as emperor over her two sons. The other story is, and the more likely one in my view, is that the stroke Jiaqing suffered did not immediately kill him, allowed him enough time and had the faculties to name his second son Mianning. Jiaqing is buried in the Qing tombs outside of Peking. He was 59 years of, all, years of age when he died. By all accounts, I am familiar Jia Qing was a conscientious and hardworking emperor. He had a legitimate concern and a legitimate effort was made to clean up the Hushin affair. He tried to bring Qing finances and expenses in line with the reality of China's circumstances at that time. Despite all of this, however, Today, he's viewed as an ineffective emperor, disliked more than liked. In his defense, he was saddled with many serious problems after his father's death. But in trying to restrict Qing expenditures and rethink the Grand Canal system and deal with the rebellions and the flooding, all of this seemed to work against him. Hopefully, for the Qing dynasty, Jia Qing's reign would not be a harbinger of things to come. Next episode, the story continues, and I will introduce the new or the next emperor. Thank you. It has been a pleasure.